Amen. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for our wonderful, wonderful musicians. Thank you so much. We have three scriptures tonight, and since I know you all are rock star students, you'll have no trouble um, moving through three different books and three different scriptures. So let's, let's hear the word of the Lord to us, first from Revelation, and then Luke, and then Mark. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Second, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And finally, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been talking about worship this semester and about John's vision of the heavenly worship going on right now. The worship around the throne of grace that our worship joins. We've imagined that throne, and we've said it lots of times together. We've talked about angels and creatures and songs, and we've said that worship gathers, it centers, it sings, and tonight it prays. That one of the most fundamental actions of worshipers of Christ is that we pray. Why is that? I have four short reasons. There's many, but we're just gonna start with four. First, scripture shows it. All of scripture's witnesses something very simple, yet extraordinary. God speaks to us, and we speak to God, and we call that prayer. From the day they came into being, Adam and Eve started listening to God and talking to him. And the very end of Revelation, in which we have landed, reveals to us an image of what is yet to come. God, once again, making his home right in the midst of his people. At the end, the picture of our life together in that kingdom is an exchange of words, God's and ours, Prayer. As you get to know the story of God and God's people in Scripture, you will find it to be, practically on every page, a record of prayer. One, we pray because Scripture prays. Two, we pray because we're created to pray. God created us because it was his delight to do so. And because above all else, he wants to be in relationship with us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world, binds us in that relationship. And the intimacy of our relationship with the Lord is fostered by prayer. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he listens to me. 
He hears my prayers and he answers them. God is not some distant stranger who must be summoned or awakened. He is closer to us than breathing and nearer than hands and feet, says the poet Tennyson. We pray because scripture prays. We pray because we're created to pray. Third, we pray because Jesus prayed. The first thing he did in the morning and the last thing he did with his dying breath he prayed. And friends, we pray. Because that's what it means to, to be Christ-like. First thing in our morning, I pray with our dying breath. We pray. Finally, number four. Prayer matters. Revelation tells us that, right? Our prayers, even now, are somehow around the throne of God. The fragrance of them is filling the noses of the heavenly worshipers. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't even begin to understand how our prayers our adoration and our singing and our thanksgiving and our supplications and our confession, how they factor into the divine economy, how our prayers work within the will of God Almighty. But they do. Our word to God matters. Our prayers, trust me, are never, ever in vain. That is confirmed by every page of scripture, which is prayer. The disciples, I love the disciples, they knew that prayer matters. That's why they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so Jesus said, okay, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? And right after that, because he knows we are faint of heart, he said, you've got to keep at it. You've got to keep praying. Jesus said, ask and ask and ask again. Knock, seek, keep at it. And here's the thing, God answers. The promise of prayer is this, God hears us and God answers. Prayer, ours, yours, and mine, every one. And that's the rub, right? Because we've all been there. We've all prayed. And it seemed like perhaps God didn't answer our prayer. Or maybe we got some sort of answer and it wasn't what we were asking for. I brought up a book that I love. I have multiple copies in my office. I'm so happy to hand them out. Come see me if you'd like one. But it's a book called Letters from a Skeptic. A son wrestles with his father's questions about Christianity. And it's an exchange of letters between the skeptic, the father, Edward Boyd, 
And his son, Dr. Gregory Boyd, who happens to be a theologian and pastor and apologist, he was a professor of mine actually way back when. And in this exchange of letters, the father, Edward, asks all sorts of questions about, about the Bible and can I trust the Bible and did Christ really raise from the dead and what about God and his vengeance and what about the future and hell and all sorts of questions and honestly, most of my questions have been in this book and so it's a great one because who of us are not skeptics really from time to time. But about halfway through the book, we get to the heart of the matter. We get to the real question that underlines really all his questions, underlies it, and it's this. Why didn't God spare your mother? You see, when his children were still young, Edward's wife was overtaken by cancer. Despite praying, he says, till they were blue in the face, she died, leaving Edward devastated and alone and leaving the boys motherless. Dr. Gregory Boyd, theologian, apologist, he's had lots of answers up until this point, but this one he cannot answer. And he says, honestly, I don't know, Dad. I too asked why. Mom died, and I too never received an answer. But, but, I've received something else. I've received healing. And Greg describes finding Christ when he was in college, coming to trust Christ largely because Christ too had suffered. Greg said, for only a God who enters into humanity, enters into our pain, can possibly redeem it. And Greg testifies that little by little, prayer by prayer, he learned to accept the unconditional love of Christ, which little by little began to fill the void of love he never got to receive from his mother. God answered that prayer, just not as they had hoped. Last week, I got to have lunch with a college senior who is, was on our campus. She's discerning a call to ministry, wondering if Western Theological Seminary is the place for her. And um, she admitted she's considered pastoring and a life in ministry, but she said, I'm a little scared of that. What if I mess up, she said. I mean, lives are on the line. I told her, ah. And then I got to tell her about my job and working with you, how much I love working with you, how much I love pastoring you, what an honor it is to walk beside you in this stage of life. And I said, but let me make something clear pastoring, chaplaincy, it's nothing. Your life belongs to God. 
for each student that I come in contact with, for the ones that come into my office and, oh, I'm so glad when you do. Here's what I know, that God, God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God who is the triune God of grace, loves you and is in love with you, that God wants the best for you, that God is on your side now and forevermore, and nothing's going to change that. God wants for you a life that is full and flourishing and rejoicing. He wants for you a life that is surrendered and obedient and redeemed. I can't make any of that happen. But God can. Through the blood of the Lamb, by the power of the Spirit working in you, God can. And so when you come into my office, I rejoice with those who rejoice and I weep with those who weep. And I pray, I pray mightily. I pray that God would have his way in you, that he would form Christ in you and that his glory, his glory would shine in you. You are the light of the world. I never meet with anyone without praying because I am helpless to do otherwise. I would love for you to leave with a renewed sense of praying tonight. The gift it is, the call it is, the ministry it is, just the favor it is. I am no great prayer, but I'm learning some things about prayer. It's taken me a while. Some of the things I've been thinking about lately is I just, I just wanted to share with you. Remember our second scripture a few weeks ago when Matt Scogan came in? Pretty awesome. And I loved what he shared with us, right? The story of Mary and Martha and just that beautiful, simple picture, which I've, I've really been tossing that around lately, that picture of prayer being just to sit at Jesus' feet, to gaze upon his beauty, to take in his love for me, O oh, lover of my soul, to listen to his teaching, not to be distracted, by other things, I commend that image to you. Hold on to that one as you think about what it is to pray and how it is to pray. The second thing I've been thinking about is sometimes we get in the habit of, of only praying when we need something. And I mean, how would your good friend feel if you only sought out him or only sought out her if you were just sick or distraught or overcome or angry? I mean, he or she would understand, but that's not all of a relationship, right? Paul, the apostle Paul says, pray, pray always, pray without ceasing, pray with rejoicing, pray with thanksgiving, pray with a great week. And then pray with ah, that week. Pray all those things. Another one, and this is what I learned from my brother Paul Borsma. Paul never begins a prayer without saying something like this. Lord, we pray to you because we are dependent on you. And 
That is just a fundamental thing to remember. We are creatures created by the Most High. And we are dependent on him for life and being and everything. So pray into his will for you. Pray about decisions big and small. Pray about peace. Pray about Christ-likeness. But pray dependent. This summer, I rewatched the movie Shadowlands. Anyone seen it? It's the story of C.S. Lewis. I, I mean, take a box of Kleenex. It just, I started weeping in the first frame and I think I wept through the whole thing. <laughs> God. And it's the story of C.S. Lewis and, and how he's a curmudgeon and he's an old bachelor and he meets a woman um, and just much to his surprise, he falls in love. Um, and then she too is overtaken by cancer. And someone in the film says, you know, Clive, why do you pray? And he says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. We pray because we are dependent. And then lastly, I want to close with this. We pray because we are um, listening. Five and a half years ago, some of you know, not everyone, my son, my beloved, the only son I got, Theodore, contracted a virus that caused encephalitis and eventual brain damage. And for months, just like Edward, I prayed till I was blue in the face. I prayed with every waking breath and with every ounce of hope and courage and begging and pleading, I could. I prayed that God would heal my son. And he did not, at least not in the way that we wanted. Theo was in the hospital for about two months and somewhere in there, as, as we began to grapple with the loss and with the grim reality of Theo's functioning and his lack thereof, I remember distinctly that my prayers, which had been speaking to God and really begging and yelling and pleading and more begging, turned to prayers of listening to God. In those days, I never went anywhere without my Bible. I walked Theo up and down the sidewalk. He was in a coma then. But I had one chair, hand on his wheelchair, and I had one hand gripped in scripture. And I began to hear God's voice to me, probably because I stopped talking. And I heard God saying to me, like Psalm 23, right? You walk in the valley of the shadow of death, but I am with you. And I heard him say, Psalm 16, I, the Lord, am always with you. You will not be shaken, for I am right beside you. And you will rest in safety. You will. Colossians 3, for you have died died, and your life is hidden with God and Christ Jesus, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, 
you will be revealed with him in glory. Glory. And then, because I know some of you are working on it, oh, God spoke to me, the Christ hymn of Philippians 2, right? On that day, every knee, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And on that day, I will wipe every tear from your eye, and you, Jennifer, will weep no more for your son. For crying and mourning shall be it no more, and I, even I, will be all in all. And lastly, John 11. Jennifer, I am the resurrection, and I am the life, I am your life. Even in this, you will live. Do you believe this? Jesus asked. Do you believe this? And I prayed that prayer that we all pray, the one we love. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, and so here we are tonight. We are sitting at your feet, Jesus. Teach us to pray. We confess we don't know how it is. You always listen and always answer, but help us to know that it's true, that God, in your mercy, that's what you do. And Lord, help us keep praying. Keep on praying, confident whether that whether our prayers are high liturgy or whether they are just the groans of the Spirit, that our prayers, even ours, are the fragrance of heaven. Help us, Lord, finally to know that all our prayers are a yes and amen in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.